Thank you. President Gorbachev, Prime Minister Barak, Mr. Hume and Mr. Trimble, distinguished guests and students, we meet together at a dangerous time. The war against terrorism enters a new phase. The Middle East is in flames. The nuclear-armed nations of India and Pakistan stand at the brink of war. This is not the way many of us had expected the new millennium to begin, but life has its own plan. Students, the haunting image of the Twin Towers with 3,000 victims collapsing under the weight of hate shapes our world of today. The terrorists who attacked America changed the world politically, emotionally, and morally. In the end, they will be defeated. And just as not only arms and weapons defeated communism, the terrorists will be defeated by basic human nature. I'd like to quote the words of the Czech President Havel, who said, communism was not defeated by military force, but by the human spirit, by conscience, by the resistance of man to manipulation. Dear students, Osama and his men use commercial airliners as bombs against cities and symbols to provoke the clash of cultures under which they, they will thrive. They want people all over this world to actually believe that there is a holy war between Islam and the West. I am not unfamiliar with these people. As Prime Minister of Pakistan, I stood up to them. I battled with many of these same extremists, including Osama bin Laden himself. I restored the writ of government to a chaotic Pakistan. The terrorists were unable to plan a single act of international terror during my tenures as Prime Minister of Pakistan. The two terror attacks on the World Trade Center, the attacks on the two US embassies in Africa, the attack on the coal ship in Yemen, the Indian parliament attack, and the Bombay blast took place when my party was in opposition. My government integrated Pakistan into the global economy that the fanatics so fear, making it one of the 10 emerging capital markets of the world, attracting billions of dollars in foreign investment. We eradicated polio in our country and reduced infant mortality. We increased literacy and we brought down the population growth rate. We fought domestic violence and established women's police forces to defend and protect the honor of the women of Pakistan. It was a transformation that was bringing Pakistan into the modern era as a model to all one billion Muslims across the world of what moderate enlightened Islam could accomplish 
for its people. And thus, to the fanatics and to the extremists, we became the enemy, the threat, and the obstacle. With the eclipse of my government, the Taliban seized control of Kabul and established their writ across Afghanistan. They then proceeded to invite in Osama bin Laden and allow the establishment of the Al-Qaeda recruiting and training camps. On the India front, my government made progress with the only nuclear confidence building treaty between India and Pakistan. We established a hotline between the military leaderships of our two countries, modeled on the hotline between Moscow and Washington during the Cold War. But moderation and progress is not what the military hardliners and the religious extremists could tolerate. I was their threat, and I was eliminated. And I am afraid, ladies and gentlemen, that the consequences continue to ripple across Asia. Dear students, distinguished guests, Osama bin Laden did not emerge like whole cloth out of a nightmare. His depravity was long in the making. And there is a responsibility of omission and commission that must never be allowed to happen again. In our government's combined zeal, that is the American and Pakistan government's combined zeal to defeat the Soviets, we failed to work for a post-war Afghanistan built on democratic principles of coalition, consensus, and cooperation. The fundamental mistake contributing to a long-term calamity was our inability to remain consistently committed to the values of freedom, democracy, and self-determination that ultimately undermine the basis of terrorism. Just as democracies do not make war, democracies do not sponsor international terrorism. Distinguished guests, the goal of international policy must always be to simultaneously promote stability and strengthen democratic values. It was the destabilization of Pakistani democracy in 1996 that strengthened the forces of extremism in Pakistan, spilling into support for extremists in Afghanistan. General Musharraf, Pakistan's military dictator, did join the war against terror last September. But before that, his military regime blindly supported the Taliban. And when he joined the war against terror last September, General Musharraf, in a public address, said that he was joining the lesser evil, meaning America, to fight the bigger evil, meaning India. Under Pakistan's military regime, the militants are regrouping in my country. Since this new year began, the militants have kidnapped and killed the Wall Street Journal reporter Danny Pearl, 
They have attacked the Protestant church in Islamabad, carried out an attack against the Indian parliament, as well as targeted doctors and mosques within Pakistan. Distinguished guests, Western democracies have gambled for decades that dictators can impose stability. But the dictators have come back to haunt the West. The Shah of Iran created a backlash that resulted in the Iranian Revolution. Pakistan's General Zia nurtured the fanatics in the Afghan resistance. His supporters in the military created the Taliban. How many September 11ths, how many Danny Pearls, before we all come to realize that the greatest protection from terrorists is replacing dictatorships with governments responsible to the people, governments based on the values of democracy and liberty. The stakes are high. The long-term implications are great. Democracies don't start wars, and they don't promote international terrorism. Elections in Pakistan are scheduled in four months' time. The world community could ensure that these elections do take place, that they are transparent and open to all parties and candidates. A democratic Pakistan is the world's best guarantee of the triumph of moderation and modernity amongst one billion Muslims that today stand at the crossroads of our history. Distinguished guests, I'd like to turn to Kashmir. In 1999, militants, Kashmiri militants infiltrated Indian-held Kargil, pushing Pakistan and India onto the brink of a nuclear war. In December 2001, a terrorist assault on the Indian parliament building once again brought India and Pakistan to the brink of war, and the international community had to rush in and extinguish the flames. But on May 14th, just six months later, Kashmiri militants, disguised as Indian soldiers, mowed down the families of Indian soldiers in the disputed Kashmir Valley. And now, once again, the armies face each other in a tense standoff while the world community rushes to see if it can once again extinguish the flames of war and bring peace to triumph. Since the overthrow of my government, India and Pakistan have three times come to the brink of a nuclear war. And in that period, both countries also detonated nuclear devices. As I noted before, democracies don't start wars, and democracies don't allow international terrorists to operate from their soil. The best and only control for the excesses of extremism is accountability for the people. And it is for this that I pray in Kashmir. It is for this that I pray in Afghanistan, and it is for this I pray in Pakistan. Students, this is not the simple world we dreamed of with the end of the Cold War. And mine is not the simple life I dreamed of 
growing up in Pakistan and later attending university at Harvard in America and Oxford in England. As an Asian at Harvard, I bitterly resented the war in Vietnam. I joined up with fellow students, fellow American students, to protest a war they did not want to fight. And so was born my commitment to work for peace. In America, I saw the awesome power of the people changing policies, changing leaders, and changing history. And so was born my commitment to democracy. While I was at Oxford, the Conservative Party elected a woman, Margaret Thatcher, as leader of the opposition, and the idea of the first British female prime minister became a possibility. At Oxford, I was the first female foreigner to be elected as president of the Oxford Union. And it was at the Oxford Union that I learned to debate, that I learned to gain confidence before an audience. I had been told that as a foreigner, I could not win the presidency and should not run. I had been told that as a woman, I could not win the presidency and should not run. But I did run and did win and I overcame my fear of losing. I learned to overcome fear and to take risks. I learned never to give in when the task seemed formidable or impossible. And so I say to you, the successor generation of today, don't accept the status quo. Don't accept no for an answer. Don't accept traditional roles and traditional constraints. Believe in yourself and in your principles. Reach for the stars and you can shine as brightly. I know that these are difficult times, that freedom is under assault, democracy is under assault, criminal terrorists try to hijack my religion just as they try to hijack your planes. The solutions will not be quick, the solutions will not be simple, but the solutions will be there. Have the courage to seek them, have the perseverance Veerance in the search for them, and I know you will triumph. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs>